Welcome back to the Noel Kastler podcast coming to you on Mother's Day, opening the show with my 65 Gibson LG2, or it's an LG1 for those that know what I'm talking about. I got that on the road a while ago. That was my bus guitar in the CSN days, and every member of Crosby, Stills, and Nash has played and or written a song on that guitar because it would get borrowed and passed around the glove uh, i mean <laughs> the neck fits like a glove so i love that instrument wasn't what i planned on opening the show with but there you go so what a week roe v wade the supreme court has done what the supreme court and the federalist society and the conservative judges that they've purchased have been planning on doing for decades but really only came into view with the ascension of Trump to the highest office because he was corrupt enough to do the things that Leonard Leo, the head of the Federalist Society, wanted done, right? And that's why days after Trump was elected in 2016, Leonard Leo walked into Trump Tower to have a meeting with Donald Trump and Ivanka, and he had a piece of paper in his hand and it had six names on it, and three of those names now sit on the Supreme Court. And we're on the eve of having Roe v. Wade repealed, a law that's been the law of the land as long as I've been alive, okay? I'm 51, so maybe I got a, a year on it, but it was, what, 71, 72? You know, a lifetime of safe access to, to abortion from, from, from my generation, you know, for, for people my age. And and that the kids coming up now, you know, the younger generation, the girls and women that are in college and high school and beyond right now, I can't imagine what it feels like, you know, and I'm a, I'm a guy, so you don't need, you know, all of my takes. I'll keep it on the politics, but just know my heart is with you and I'm down for whatever this fight requires because it, it is going to be a fight and nothing could be more important. It's a human rights issue and, and it's beyond you know, safe access to legal abortions. This is human rights. This is only the beginning. They're going to go after gay rights, you know, where they're already making victims and they're trying to victimize trans children. They're already sort of trying to outlaw contraception. You know, if, if you don't think that affects you fellas, you know, find out, find out when you can't buy a rubber in Arizona, you know, or Louisiana and you're heading down to Mardi Gras, right? IUDs, you know, there's laws on the books immediately within 48 hours, Louisiana introduced a bill that they're sending to committee next week to outlaw contra IUDs, contraception and, and the morning after pill, right? The morning after pill, plan B as it's known, you know, a convenient, you know, safe way for women to, you know, make a choice over their own reproductive freedom and bodies. And it's a health issue. And, and all these draconian laws, they make no considerations for victims of incest and rape, you know, and, and there couldn't be anything crueler. And, and that's the point, because the cruelty is always the point 
with modern conservatism. You know, it's just cruel people that that do this, that would be attracted to this. You'd have to be an asshole to believe in that kind of fundamentalism anyway. Right. And that's not to say if you're Catholic, my grandparents are Catholic. You know, my, my grandfather, Vince, step-grandfather was a Jesuit priest for most of his life until he married my grandmother, a devout Irish Catholic. And neither of them, you know, were, were in favor of abortion, but they weren't maniacs who were going to go stand outside of a planned parenthood center and make it their life's, you know, work to punish other people. You know, they were real religious people. They, my grandma started a homeless shelter. They tried to feed and educate people who needed that. You know, in Haiti, they built schools, right? You try to help, you know, the people who have less than you. You don't try to punish them. And the GOP knows that abortion primarily is going to, you know, affect minorities, you know, people in poor rural areas, right? Because the rich guys, their daughters are still going to have access to abortion, right? They'll, they'll, they'll outlaw it in Texas, right? But the state senator's daughter at UT Austin is going to get to fly to New York for the weekend to go shopping, right? And take care of something. So there's always going to be access for the guys that are starting these rules for their family, for their wives to get the medical treatment they need, you know? but not for the people that they're trying to sort of subjugate and punish, you know, the entopic pregnancies and things that can kill you, you know? And, and there was a state Senator out West who said like, yeah, no exceptions. That's God's will. That's insane. You don't want a bunch of angry old white men making decisions for women, you know, and this stuff has been funded by billionaires, by Betsy DeVos, the Koch brothers, because they can manipulate people with this crap. And that's what I talked about in the car rant the other day. If you saw it, you know, they, they, they don't really care about abortion. They certainly don't care about religion, right? If you spend your life drilling for oil, you know, not that that's all bad, <laughs> but I'm saying if you're somebody like the Koch brothers that are willing, you know, David Koch's dead, Charles Koch, you know, they, they have pipelines where they had a management philosophy that if there was a leak, it was cheaper to deal with the fines that you would get from polluting the environment than stopping the flow and making a repair. That was a business decision that these guys signed off on, right? So if that's your philosophy, you're not really religious. You don't really care about the planet or human life, right? Because you're spilling oil into areas that are going to give, give kids birth defects and stuff like they do in Louisiana around their petroleum processing plants like what happens in Texas, right? So it's not really about caring about children. We see that in the, the cutting you know, of, of school lunch programs, right? But what these guys want is they want power over the people that live in those places that they're exploiting with their industry and their wealth. Especially the oil companies. It's the same way they wanted these people not to wear masks and not to get vaccinated because they wanted this air of defiance because it's all coming to a head with the environment. And sooner or later, we are going to have to seriously address this. And the industries aren't going to want people that comply with the new regulations. They're going to want people to protest. And abortion, that issue became a core thing in conservatism. And this conservatism, by the way, started in the late 70s and was funded by the Koch brothers, amongst others, you know, 
people, their father was in the John Birch Society. You know, this libertarian movement was in response to the Carter years where people were getting hip to, you know, to the environment and, and recyclable energy and solar power instead of oil and fossil fuels, right? So the sort of like idealism was percolating and coming all the way up to the White House at the end of the 70s. And the conservatives freaked out and they figured, how can we get more votes for us to protect our industry and our causes? We can siphon away possibly Catholic votes from Democrats, you know, and Southern evangelicals if we go hard on this abortion issue. And that's when it really started getting funded. Right. At the same time that the same guys behind the street, you know, behind the scenes pulling the strings got freaked about their business model, you know, being called the task by science and the environmental movement. Right. So it's all connected, but they realized that's a hot button issue that gets these sort of people riled up and going and standing in front of a Planned Parenthood center you know, and, and putting a bumper sticker and, and considering themselves Christian warriors and stuff, right? And it has the added sort of misogynistic overtone of we're going to know what's right for women and tell them what to do, right? And that feels good to dumbass, unevolved men, right? Because they get to get angry and they still get to have power over women and subjugate them. And that's the root of this issue. And it's why it spread like wildflower fire, wildflower wildfire amongst that population of these sort of dumbass half-wit mediocre white men that populate this country the same guys that join the nra and drive the big pickup trucks and do all the dumbass maga rallies that same mentality if you empower idiots they're not going to look at how you're really screwing them over that's been the business philosophy of the Koch brothers the libertarians the conservatives you know, and it goes back, it goes back to the industrialists, but let's just focus on modern times. So your Betsy DeVos, your Eric Prince's, you know, these billionaires that align themselves with these movements, Peter Thiel, you know, in the cyber arena of this, they want to protect their interests. They want to protect their money. They don't want to pay taxes, right? And who's the ones that always give a pass to big business and industry? that wants to pollute Republicans, conservatives, right? Because Democrats have all these freaks that care about the environment and healthcare and stuff. And there's no money in that, right? There's no money for insurance companies and universal healthcare and insurance companies give me a lot of money, right? So that's why they go after that. That's why they go after public education, which is now on the chopping block. You know, there's, there's, they wanna defund public education in Texas right? Teachers are always enemy number one to these guys. So they don't want an educated population, but they want one easily manipulated by these kind of core issues that aren't core issues. It doesn't talk about abortion in the Bible. You know what I mean? It's a modern construct of a conservative libertarian movement that's innately corrupt, you know, and, and founded and funded by men that just want you to not look at what they're really doing and look at the books. And they want to buy politicians that are little lackeys that allow them to do it, you know? And that got, 
that got mixed in with, you know, Paul Manafort and Oleg Deripaska and Russian money and Saudi Arabian money. And it spread all over D.C. And it poisoned the political system in this country and democracy, really. And nobody's being super honest with you about how bad it is. Steve Schmidt did the other night. If you listen to his, you know, I read his Twitter thread about Meghan McCain. He talks about Paul Manafort working for McCain and bringing in Deripaska and taking all this Russian money. That's the time that Paul Manafort lived in Trump Tower, had an apartment there. Paul Manafort, who got pardoned by Trump this year, that man's walking free. The guy who helped Ukraine get destabilized with corruption to such an extent, you know, that they've suffered, not to mention, you know, fallen into a war with a company, you know, with a country that was trying to corrupt them and own them, that was pumping money into DC and American politics. So it's all connected. So it makes sense that a Leonard Leo would walk into Trump Tower in the days after his election and say, here's the deal, right? It makes sense that Eric Prince or somebody else would have some kind of black ops, possibly, you know, on Justice Kennedy's son who worked at Deutsche Bank and signed off on a $1 billion loan to Donald Trump when nobody else would loan him money, right? That's all connected. Deutsche Bank, the bank in Germany that laundered all the Russian money that's been fined all the time for laundering like, you know, oligarchs stolen cash and they pay a fine and keep going about their business because it's cheaper to pay the fine than to root out the corruption. Just like I talked about the management philosophy, the Koch brothers had, it's, it's cheaper to clean up the spill and pay the fine than it is to make sure the pipe doesn't leak. You can look at that same analogy in politics, right? When there's a pipeline of cash going into Washington, buying up politicians, it's cheaper to deal with the emergencies as they bubble up and spill out than it is to do an overhaul from top to bottom because you never know who's going to get caught up when you shine a light like that. And that's the system we're now in, where mainstream media, you know, a lot of politicians on either side of the fence, you know, a lot of institutions like the Justice Department want to go back to this business as usual, you know, we're just going to follow procedure here, which is always the rich guy gets to run out the clock. Right. You know, Paul Manafort was mentioned in Mueller's report, uh, you know, obstruction of justice. Ten counts were left. I believe ten counts for A.G. Garland. It's been five years. Right. There's been no action. Trump runs out the clock, as I talked about last week with a Manhattan D.A. Right. Regime change and you run out the clock and we're heading towards another one. You got an abortion issue on top of all the other incendiary things in this country right now. And that's why it was obviously leaked by a conservative clerk because they heard that perhaps, you know, Kavanaugh or somebody else was gonna join Roberts or whatever and kind of go along with not overturning Roe v. Wade. So somebody leaked it to force the issue because once you leak it, those conservative justices are locked in and it also gives them a talking point. It gives McConnell a talking point and the rest of the GOP when they get to say, we're not going to be bullied by the woke mob. And that's what they said right away. You know, that was the first thing I tweeted about the morning after Tuesday morning, because I was like, this is clearly, you know, 
the, a way to lock in the votes, which I learned from better minds than me that know the law. But the, the part I do see clearly is that like they want that talking point. And Josh Hawley was there tweeting about it the next morning. We're not going to be bullied. Right. Because that gives them something to fundraise off of. You know, that gives us something to go out and whip up the same crowds I just described to you over an issue. You know, and that should terrify people because that's going to be an issue at the same time we have the January 6th hearings in June. Right. These things are going to bubble up at the same time and they're going to drift into November and you're going to have given these guys too long and too much power. Trump wants to be president again. He was campaigning in Pennsylvania on Friday, right, with J.D. Vance, who'll say anything he wants, and Dr. Oz, you know, who's another freaking lunatic who voted in the Turkish election in 2018. I believe that was the year, but the last election in Turkey, my man, Dr. Oz, voted in it, and he's running for Senate in Pennsylvania, or governor, right, his governor, or senator, what the hell is he running for? He's running for senator, right? So anyway, or governor, I don't even know. I got to hit pause and look it up. Obviously, senator, as I said, you know, I got confused for a second because somebody else, oh, Greg Kelly tweeted out like, we deserve a beautiful first lady like Mrs. Dr. Oz or whatever. And somebody was like, does he know like senators don't get a first lady? So whenever I get confused, by the GOPs and stupidity, it leaks into my own. But uh, anyway, Dr. Oz, I'm going to have on in a couple of weeks, a buddy of mine who was Dr. Oz's stage manager on his TV show. And I worked on a couple of shows that film next door. So I know who Dr. Oz is and my man definitely knows who Dr. Oz is. So he's going to come on the show in a couple of weeks. He's a good buddy of mine. And uh, he'll tell you about Dr. Oz. And I'll come down to Pennsylvania and tell you all about him on June 8th, where I'm doing a show at City Winery. But back into the politics, I'll be at City Winery, New York City on June 6th, too. I forgot to mention my shows last week, so I'm remembering now mid-rant, okay? But my point is, we are giving them time to, to not only build a war chest, to be out there campaigning. The Dems aren't really campaigning yet, right? You got Tim Ryan. Right. He's running in Ohio against J.D. Vance, who's getting all the press on the mainstream media left and right. Right. They love to talk about the villain. There's not a lot of traction in the nice guy. That's why Chuck Todd has some idiot Republican on every Sunday morning, doesn't challenge him. And then they get a clip that offends the left and it gets retweeted all morning long. It's a business model and people fall for it every time. Fire Chuck Todd, blah, blah, blah. He's making him money or he would have been fired. He did get kicked back to digital daily. So he's going to be on the Peacock or whatever the streaming thing is, instead of, you know, hammering us with his ineptitude every weekday afternoon. And Chris Jansing, who's a baller, is going to take over. But uh, I digress. Okay, my point is, the left isn't so good at fighting back against this stuff. The left likes to be addicted to being the smartest guy in the room. Okay. And when I say the left, I'm talking about myself. Okay. But it's tough love because I'm on Twitter. So people love to be contrary. They love to complain. You can't, they can't comment because everyone's addicted to like, that's the left's aggression, right? The right has the, we'll go out in the streets. We got our guns, you know, 
we got our big pickup trucks, we wave flags. The left is more subtle. The left is like, we're smart, but we like to sort of condescend to each other and be contrary because a lot of people feel, feel overwhelmed about everything that's going on and they can't control that, but they can inject their opinion even when it's not warranted into every debate. So you'll say something like, you know, hey, you know, this is all kind of a direct result from Reagan on. And someone will say, no, actually, it began under Nixon, and here's why, right? Missing the larger point, that you're trying to address the moment and what's going on. And I think that is a trap that we have to be very careful to not fall in, because we're in an election year, okay? And if, if people start fighting with each other and infighting, you're not going to fight the enemy, and they're just getting stronger. You know, they're building a cult. They're putting state senators in office all over the country that Trump is handpicking because they'll, you know, they'll pick him when he challenges the next election, right? Trump's an idiot, but he learns stuff if it can serve his self-interest. And he probably learned from Leonard Leo, Leonard Leo and these guys. He was probably impressed that the guy walked in with a list of names and told him how it was going to be done and cut him a big check. And it got done. And if you think those idiots, here's the scariest point. If you take anything away from this week's show, take away this one point, okay? If you think they worship Trump before, wait till he gets to do a victory lap and claim credit for overturning Roe v. Wade. He will be a deity to them, okay? He will be more popular than Jesus. They'll have his face on more t-shirts, you know, than you can imagine. You know, they'll see him as the savior and they already do because they're getting brainwashed from a thousand different media at media outlets that he basically is. Right. So just imagine when he gets to run on that. I overturned Roe v. Wade. You know, not to mention inflation and all the other stuff. Biden's ineffective, blah, blah, blah. You know, Hunter Biden. Imagine if they open up an investigation, as I said a couple of weeks ago, which could happen in Delaware. Some wacky Trump judge that he appointed could open up a case and there could be nothing there. But MSN will, you know, salivate over it because it's controversial and more entertaining and gets more clicks than talking about your Tim Ryans or whoever is running. So imagine if all of that coalesces. And we're stuck fighting with each other about, oh, we shouldn't go too green with AOC. We need to be a moderate. And, you know, we're, we're doomed. We're doomed. You can't argue on a lifeboat. You got to all row in the same direction at the same time. Now's the time for discipline and clear messaging. Okay. These guys are fascists. They were flying Nazi swastika flags in front of Disney World yesterday on Saturday, right in front of the entrance to Disney World. And they had a DeSantis country flag flying right there with them. Okay. They're Nazis. They're running on fascism. They're refusing to denounce anti-Semitism in Florida and getting away with it, getting increasingly more popular. So if your ticket is Trump DeSantis or something in 2024, and they got fascist armies behind them, it's not a joke, you know? It's not a time to bicker amongst each other. It's a time to realize democracy hangs in the balance and we got to do all we can because it may just be women now 
seeking abortions, which we should not see this battle. I'm not giving it up yet, you know, and we can't. I don't know what our what we can really do, right? Because that's how our system is set up. You know, and we can do a deeper dive into, you know, the sort of lack of representation that so much of this country gets. There's 10 million people in Los Angeles alone, but they got two senators, right? But so does South Dakota, you know? And when these senators become these GOP extremists, you know, backed by governors in that state, it's hard to stop. And the minority ends up ruling the majority, right? Especially when they use fascistic, violent tactics. Look at South Africa, you know? Look at the British Empire <laughs> for a long time, you know? It just, this story, look, history repeats itself. And we're a country that hasn't progressed that far. We thought we had, and basically we're waking up to the fact that, oh shit, we haven't right? Because that initial ignorance has never really been addressed or cleansed. And now, as I said at the top of the show, it's being infused with cold, hard cash. And the people that are collecting this cash are amassing such enormous piles of it that they're becoming untouchable and they're making their own laws, you know, and it's going to be real hard to stop them, right? If you ever do again, they come back to power, you know, you're looking at it like a Soviet Union type situation where how would you ever amass enough, you know, power to get rid of these guys? If you think it's hard now, you know, if we get on the other side of this thing and have to fight back, you know, that's that's a tough call right there, you know, and you don't know how much of the rest of the world's going to want a piece of that, you know. So happy Mother's Day. I know that's all depressing kind of stuff, but man. You know, as I said, 51 years old, Roe v. Wade. I did not think I would be talking about that, you know, before it got to be 70 degrees out in the spring. It's still 50 degrees, right? It's still not even spring here yet. We're not even out of this long, dark winter of discontent and bad news, right? And now we got another thing thrown at us. And that's also part of the plan. It's like wear people down, you know? It came out this week that Chad Wolf, who was the acting, you know, Homeland Security secretary, hid information that Russians were again interfering in the 2020 election. And he thought it would damage Trump if they released the report. So they changed the report to not reflect poorly on the candidate that appointed them. And they weren't even a confirmed department head, they were acting, which was another loophole that nobody had exploited before. And Trump did. So we had all these lackeys in these positions of government that didn't have any oversight, right? That's a mob boss mentality and it worked. And that came and went, you know, that came out earlier this week. Stunning stuff in any other time that just sort of enters the news cycle and gets kicked out. Right. Jared Kushner, two billion dollars from the Saudis. Everyone's outraged for 48 hours, disappears. You know. Giuliani doesn't show up at the January 6th committee hearing on Friday because they won't let him record it for his podcast. Right. Disappears, you know. At the same time, we're getting an onslaught of their sort of brainwashed anger and conservatism. You know, Tucker Carlson is getting huge pieces in the New York Times. You know, it's an un, 
balanced scale, right? Because the louder voices, it's like I say, whoever lies the loudest, loudest kind of counts in this modern political arena because everything's so addled and so click-oriented and algorithmically controlled, you know? So you throw in an Elon Musk on this and let the right's voice get that much louder online, as I talked about last week. And you have a nightmare on your hands, right? Because these are unscrupulous people that are willing to do anything. You know, we still don't know what happened in the six hours of White House call logs that Trump probably destroyed after January 6th, right? For six hours, there's no records of phone calls going in and out of the White House, right? As he was trying to have his vice president killed. Do you have any idea how insane that is? He should have been arrested that day. That's not a hyperbolic statement. That's on any system of law and order that we've ever pretended to care about in this country. That dude was in violation that day of trying to like stoke an insurrection and kill his political opponents that happened to be his vice president. You know, talk about a banana republic scenario. And then he eats the records, right? Or burns them. Six hours of call logs. And this is a guy that they already knew was using cell phones in the Oval Office the whole time he was there and for, for four years because he didn't want to, you know, be under surveillance. That's also why he played golf every weekend. Okay. It wasn't just to grift and make the Secret Service have to rent a hundred golf carts and charge him 20 bucks for a bottle of water, all of which he did, right? To the tune of $194 million or something he spent on golf, right? But it was so he could get away from the surveillance. You know, Trump didn't trust anybody and he bugged everyone around him. So he assumed they were bugging him. You know, so he wanted to be on a golf cart when he called up Erdogan, which he did. Right. And others, you know, it wasn't an accident that he was having a love affair metaphorically with Kim Jong-un. He worshipped that kind of stupid authoritarianism. I, I talk about it in my set. He would walk around like he was president on Celebrity Apprentice. They would practically have a dude come in with a bugle and be like, Mr. Trump is coming into the room. And he'd walk in with his phalanx of guard guards and he'd puff out his chest and try to button his top button, you know, like that same move on that first G8 visit when he knocked the Montenegro guy out of the way, who, by the way, Putin told him was an enemy. So that was a message for Putin. That was, here's me on the world stage doing your bidding, boss, right? So that guy would walk around back then, you know, enthralled with the sort of thuggery and pageantry of authoritarianism. So it's no wonder that he was drawn to these people when he was in office, you know, and he would have like, as I said, and I got no beef with him, but he'd have Hell's Angels and Chuck Zito and these kind of guys at the after parties. And Chuck almost kicked my ass once for taking his picture standing with some hell's angels but uh you know trump is into that that toxic you know authoritarianism and so are a lot of americans right that's what we learned right you know they've been building an army all along and that aggression needs to be stoked and focused and the right to life movement you know is, is a way to encapsulate that in one theme. And I, I think it's strategic. I think that leak 
you know, had Ginny Thomas's hands all over it saying it's go time. We're this close, leak it. She's clearly running point for a lot of that movement. We know that she was texting Mark Meadows about that same insurrection. You know, all these guys were working in concert with each other. We know it. We have the data that proves it. And we're still almost just kind of dancing around. God knows where A.G. Garland is. He's the disappearing, you know, dude that you never see. You know, they're counting on everybody being like, slow down. Justice takes time. They're making sure all their I's and T's are dotted. dotted. If you're wrong, we're screwed, right? And recent history has showed us that pretty much all of our institutions more or less kind of fail us, right? We barely wrested power out of Trump's hands and we're failing to hold him accountable in a meaningful way a year and a half, you know, after he, they tried to burn down the Capitol, essentially, you know, we know that sitting Congress women texted him about starting martial law and acting martial law, right? It's like, we know it all happened and everyone's sort of like frozen, you know, with this kind of feeling of like the next guy is going to stand up, you know, you know, somebody's going to come and save us. And, and, and like the bad guys, they don't always lose. Sometimes they get away with stuff. You know, those people sitting in Mariupol in the bottom of the steel plant or wherever for, you know, the last two months, you know, probably thought somebody was going to come and save them, you know, and finally some, I think they all finally got evacuated, but like you're waiting for the world to show up and the cavalry to come and it doesn't always happen. You know, you gotta, you know, sometimes you gotta hold your own ground and there's no better example of that than Ukraine, right? They're holding off the world's probably second biggest army. One small essentially country, you know, it's not a small, it's the largest country in Europe, but you know what I mean? Comparatively, militarily, right? So, you know, we can't fall for the same sort of like, wait for the institutions to, to save us. It's somebody else's job. You know, it's all of our job right now. It's all of our jobs to protect women, to stand up for women's rights. If you're a man and you're listening to this and you're on the fence with this issue or you don't think it involves you, it does, brother. I promise you. And it will involve your kids and their kids and their kids' kids if we don't stop this right now. You know, this is 2022. We're not going back to the dark ages. We're not going back to women having back room and back alley abortions. Okay. We're not, we're not letting women die in childbirth. Mississippi has the highest infant mortality rate in the country every year, year after year. Last time I checked the figures was 2020, but I guarantee you they're still right up there, you know, and their governor Tate Reeves was on the Sunday morning shows, you know, basically dancing around the issue of, yeah, IUDs are next birth controls next. And he said, life begins at conception. What, you know, how do you get to say when conception is, right? Again, misogyny, right? And, and no one's more misogynistic than the sort of, you know, falsely pious conservative white male, right? They're the same kind of guys that owned other human beings because they didn't want to work themselves and then acted like the sense of entitlement allowed them to be kings throughout the centuries. And that thought process, you know, 
is well represented in our government right now. You know, I was watching the Kentucky Derby the other day. They were chanting, let's go, Brandon, right? Because Trump was there with his mayor, you know, Kim Guilfoyle. I don't think she ended up getting a starting position, but, you know, they had an extra, uh, <laughs> sorry, extra horse on hand, her teeth. But anyway, he was there and they're chanting, let's go, Brandon. You know, these sons of the plantation era South celebrating it, my old Kentucky home. You know, a song that sings about the glories of plantation era, you know, pre-Civil War Southern gentility, which is basically wealth built on the backs of others that were stolen from their land and worked to death, you know, and abused. It's inhumanity. It was 300 years ago. It's not a long time ago. And Alito quoted Hale, Matthew Hale, in his, you know, in his opinion, to overturn Roe v. Wade. You know, you all know the crucible, right? Reverend Hale, that's an allusion to the same guy. That was the guy who had witch trials. They happened in England and then they happened here. And that guy's was the sort of judicial philosophy behind it. That's misogyny. Men hating women, trying to control them, burning them at the stake because they didn't like them, because they weren't married, right? Because they rejected their advances. God knows what kind of reason some misogynistic prick would have to have back then. But all he'd have to do is whisper it. And then a bunch of dudes would be there with a pitchfork, right? Throwing them on a pyre and lighting a flame or hanging them. They hung a woman, the oldest uh, murder of a witch in this country happened in Connecticut, I believe Bristol, right? In 1647 or something. And the woman was just exonerated in 2018. You know, they just expunged her record. She was on the books as being a witch and they hung her, hanged her, right? Right? That's what we did in this country. This is crazy, right? And it was that same thought. So then the guy who's authoring the Supreme Court opinion that's going to take away women's rights is quoting that level and that era's insanity, directly quoting it as his reason for doing this. I mean, what more do you need? You know, when they're quoting the bad guys in the crucible, you know, your ass is in trouble, right? They're not hiding who they are and they're getting away with it because they're building an army of the ignorant that's buying this bullshit. Because when you tie it into nationalism and religion in that kind of way, that's a potent mix that always has to do with extremism. Right. And then you put racism on top of it. You put ethnic identity. And people do all kinds of horrors as they have throughout the history of this world. You know, so that's what that issue represents. And that's why I say you have to stop it. You have to stand up. Men, women, you know, this is not the time to like, hey, it's polite. We don't discuss that. We didn't discuss abortion out of politeness when it wasn't ever in question that it was a basic right. But now it is not just in question, but in peril. So we have to discuss it. You know, we have to have these arguments because they're only going to metastasize in other issues. And that will be the civil war that we have. You know, it won't be a north-south kind of thing, but it'll be states, right? It'll be somebody who goes to New Mexico from Texas to have an abortion, right? 
And then somebody goes from Texas to try and grab her and bring her back. So she can't. And authorities in New Mexico, you know, not letting her go. I, somebody said that on Twitter and it was a nice like analogy. Right. And there's somebody, other people have done some writing on it, but Michelle Goldberg, you know, who I'm a fan of, who writes for the New York Times, she wrote an op-ed the other day, same issues. You know, when Missouri gets pissed off at Kansas, you know, because somebody's shipping Plan B bills, pills over or something. There's all kinds of potential for sort of interstate border disputes to happen because of this issue. And that's why it's such a political bomb. And I don't mean B-A-L-M, I mean incendiary bomb to throw on an already divided nation. And the right knows that, you know, the extremists know that because this is a form of terrorism. They can get people to do whatever on this issue, to blow up clinics, to harm and demonize their fellows, which is why they use that language. You know, if you remember in Trump's White House convention, which wasn't supposed to happen. It never happened before, but well, Trump's doing it. Guess he's doing it. Guess he's ripping out the Rose Garden so we can have a dolly crane come down and get a shot of Melania, Melania, you know, his mail order third wife come down the steps, right? And nobody stopped him. So he had a convention there. And one of the speakers, if you remember, it was horrible to watch. I was in Cape Cod watching it. Cape Cod, where I'm going to be actually. Uh, in August and uh, August 5th or August 3rd, rather, I'm going to be at the music room, <laughs> awkward segue, but I love Cape Cod in the summer. So I was there a couple of years ago and I was in Chatham, which is a great, great part right at the tip and uh, just the tip. But anyway, I watched that convention. Okay. There was a woman and she talked about the Democrats all are baby murderers. They want to, you know, abort live babies and they have a room full of baby body parts. If you remember, like somebody really said something that crazy. They had somebody in an official capacity speaking at a Republican convention with just crazy stuff that you'd hear in a parking lot of Walmart and, you know, in Tennessee or something, you know? So they're doing that shit. It wasn't happening like that before. And they know that that was weaponized fodder, you know, weaponized violent imagery to drill down into the minds of the people that are following them and enraged, you know, and they're, they're manipulating those emotions. And that is a powerful thing on top of everything else that's sort of messing with democracy from, from money on down. And it's all coming to a head and it's all, you know, not by accident. And it all needs to be examined. It all needs to kind of be aired out and it has to happen quickly or it's going to be too late. You know, you'll, you'll get overwhelmed. That's what he does. It also came out the other way today. Mark Milley said he had to basically talk him out of trying to send missiles into Mexico to blow up drug labs, right? trying to take out the competition <laughs> right or punish don jr but he wanted to do that and they didn't hide from it the next day don jr is tweeting what's the problem my dad wanted to bomb you know drug labs why does the left hate that so he didn't even pay a price for saying something that stupid right and he wanted to do it and then lie about it and say it was another country the fact that an american president wanted to be not that duplicitous, but just straight out lie about an act of war, you know, 
that speaks to our, our darkest demons and our worst historical catastrophes, you know, Cambodia. We, we lied about, you know, dropping bombs for a long time and a lot of times in the past of this country, and it's never been our finest hour, you know, and our two most important trade partners are Canada and Mexico. So it's just stupid, ignorant stuff. And that's the president of the United States saying shit that you would hear somebody say at a bar and you'd be like, this guy's the dumbest freaking guy. I'm never going to have a conversation with this guy again. And that guy was sitting in the Oval Office on his cell phone saying shit like that every day and saying it to other foreign leaders. Okay. You've never had a worse situation and they haven't left and they're trying to come back. And people are getting used to it, right? Those revelations came out because Mark Milley's selling a book. And mainstream media will interview him and they'll help him try to sell that book. You know, and nobody will get that outraged that he didn't say anything at the time. Like so many others didn't because they're Republicans at heart. You know, they don't, they're not heroes. They're not patriots. They're trying to make a buck. And they were working for a system that was all about making a buck and manipulating dumbasses, right? And that was even beyond the pale for them. So it becomes a salacious detail in the book, but he's not held accountable on it. Trump should have had to like slip out of the country eight months ago. You know, he should have just like left on a cargo ship somewhere and been like, it's rumored that he's living in the jungles of Bolivia or something, you know, like Colonel Kurtz. Instead, he's having fundraisers. He's sitting down at Mar-a-Lago. He's doing his thing and he's making a fortune off it. And he knows he's going to run out the clock on these investigations, right? Marjorie Taylor Greene sat there and gave a stump speech on the witness stand, bald face lied, and the judge was clearly on her side a couple of weeks ago to kick her off the ballot in Georgia for her role in inciting an insurrection. Trump's lawyer was in that courtroom, stood up and objected when the question was asked about martial law. She smirked her way through that, right? And got away with it. What did the judge say on Friday? Said she's allowed to be on the ballot. The prosecution failed to prove their case, just like Kyle Rittenhouse, you know? Trump made over 200 federal appointments. Justice Alito served with Trump's sister. Marianne Trump, okay, in North Jersey. They were both on the federal court together. All of this stuff is connected. All of these guys, you know, with the exception of Trump, who was basically a new guy in D.C., but Manafort wasn't, right? That was the most interesting part of, you know, Schmidt's thread was Manafort's involvement with McCain in 2008. You know, so th this money runs deep and, and it runs you know, it runs corrupt. And the people that did this, you know, Manafort got a pardon. Roger Stone got a pardon. Giuliani hasn't needed one yet. They're all walking free. They're all making money. They're all doing their podcasts and their YouTube shows and pumping poison into people's brains. And they're getting victories, you know, at least in the PR sense, you know, this Roe v. Wade thing is takes the focus off of some criminality on Trump's hand and puts it rightly so on, you know, probably the biggest issue we could have right now, you know? That all plays to their base. It plays in their, in their favor because we are like a post-institutional kind of post-Trump era 
where anything goes, where these guys will just get up and live right to your face and get elected. Dude got elected in Indiana from jail the other day, who was in jail for murdering his wife. Not a joke. You can look it up. I won't get into the details, but he received enough of the vote to get on the ballot or whatever, you know, it was a, you know, preliminary kind of situation. And obviously the guy's probably not going to end up on the school board or whatever he's running for, but just the fact that like, it's my team or their team and I'll vote for whatever scumbag has a gun in his campaign video or looks to be on my team. And that team is clearly white MAGA, you know, racist nationalists. It's insane. So anyway, I started the show with this guitar. Here we go. I love this guitar. I wrote a lot of songs on it myself. beautiful too but as i was saying it you know i brought it on the road when i would do all that crosby stills and nash road managing stuff and i remember one time we were outside of missouri and the the ferguson you know unrest was happening you know the the righteous anger that was boiling up over yet another murder of a young african-american man and that one was as egregious as disgusting as as it could be and uh I remember sitting in catering, watching it with Graham Nash and we're eating lunch and, or, you know, sound check dinner. And uh, I said, I can't even watch this anymore. I just have to go write about it, you know? And he goes, you're right, me too. Let's go write songs. And he went to his room and after the show, I w- we went to another hotel and I sat in my room and I wrote this song and uh, we both had our songs the next day and I got to play mine for Crosby and those guys and, and they dug it you know, which was a cool feeling, but a guy who hung out on the tour of this kid, Johnny Arian, who's married to Sarah Lee Guthrie, who is Woody Guthrie's granddaughter. They, they liked the song and wanted to record it. And I said, great, do it, but let's give the money to charity. So they recorded the single and we gave it all to the Southern Poverty Law Center and they uh, released it as a benefit single. And Morris Dees, the legendary civil rights guy wrote me a nice, uh, nice uh, letter and uh anyway my point is you know feeling your art with progressivism you know with seeing an injustice and speaking out about it has never been more you know important and crucial and that's why i was drawn to work with guys like jackson brown and csn and you know my heroes or or people that sort of you know say something about what's going on and how can you react to the world and not want to like speak out against injustice if you have a voice in which to to do that you know and the privilege to have an audience that'll listen so i just wanted to give a shout out for those guys you know crosby more than anybody is just a badass in that arena as you know they all are they're all equally informed and sort of righteous and, and eloquent from neil young to you know stephen stills i woke stephen up one day we were in italy and there was some kind of it was the beginning, I think, of the same unrest. And I said, Stephen, you know, the Ferguson stuff. And I said, you got to get up. You know, there's all these like there's riots and all kinds of crazy stuff. You got to write about it. And he goes, I already did. It's called something's happening here. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, you did, man. All right. You get a pass. But, you know, it was his point was also like, 
the same stuff has been happening, you know, 30, 40 years. And now we're at a point where we're going backwards, right? Those guys, you know, they saw in the early 70s, women get this right, the women's rights movement that you guys have all been a part of, you know, but at the same time that was happening, you had your Phyllis Schlafly's, I can never say her name right, you know, you had the beginning of this conservative pushback and that conservative pushback, which would have been square and seen as just ridiculous and laughable and like Nixonian, you know, back in the day, back in their day is now the mainstream. And that's, that's, what's terrifying, you know, is that the, the sort of conservatism and the bad guys now have in many ways, the loudest voice, right. But we have the truth on our side, you know, and there's plenty of righteous artists that speak out now. So shout out to all of them. And Crosby, as I mentioned, you know, he's the baddest of those dudes in terms of that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, he's, I didn't know, but he, 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 I guess he tested positive for COVID and wasn't feeling so good. So I'm sending some good vibes to him. I will bring on that instrument I mentioned last week, but he's played this and written some songs on it. So this one passes for this week, but I'll bring back another double course next week. I hope you guys all have a wonderful week. I know tensions are uh, high and just, you know, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. We're going to win this thing. Love always wins. If you want to laugh about this kind of stuff, come and see me. I'm a month out of two big shows for me at City Winery, New York City on June 6th or June 7th, rather, and Philadelphia on June 8th, right? Back to back, big market, bringing it, City Winery. It's going to be fun. If you listen to the show, you know, you can always get a t-shirt if you want. Laura got one last week. Thank you, Laura. Appreciate the support. I appreciate all you guys. Appreciate you listening. You mean a lot to me. And until next week, have a good one. Peace.